Hey everybody, welcome to the You Know Jack podcast. This is your host, Kevin Jacklevic, and welcome to the 12th episode. A dozen, folks. We're at a dozen. Next week, we'll be at a baker's dozen. I think that means a little extra, maybe 13. If you go get some donut balls, donut holes, whatever they're called, then you order a dozen. They'll give you a baker's dozen. You betcha. Um, it's good to be with you this week. Man, life has been really busy this week, at least at my house, but it's been really good. I've been... Uh, you know, busy with my day job, busy with the podcast, busy with my kids' sports and stuff. I got the vaccine shot Friday, slept a lot Saturday. Um, man, just a lot going on lately. And and with the podcast, I got, I think I have four episodes stacked up right now to where I got people coming at me. I'm not having to hustle to find people that want to come on the show. It's kind of going the other way, and that's, man, that's a good time. So I'm just really, uh, really grateful for that. So things are good. Life is good right now. I hope uh, hope it is for you too. Um, let's talk about this week. So this week is a cool, cool episode. It's it's somebody that I've known for a few years. Um, his name is David Bozarge. I think I said that right. I have trouble with it. I'm not very smart. And so I have trouble with his name. And he's a young man. He's a 23-year-old man. He's from the, uh, the Bayou. He's from New Orleans area. And, you know, I met him three years ago through our church that we go to and uh David was involved in the in the church and helping with the kids program the children's program at the church uh and you know we we kind of hit it off and just kept up every week and talked here and there and his wife was around around the church too she was um she was a she was the worship leader so she sang had a beautiful voice at church so they were definitely somebody that were in our lives for a while, and then they ended up leaving the church to pursue another project that they're working on that, that David and I talk about in this episode uh, to help youth get to, to church and uh, to help them connect with with their faith and also healthy things. You know, they're they're targeting some youth that's in lower income areas, and so. You know, he's just a really cool kid. He's he's been through a lot. He was, you know, like I said, he was born and raised down in uh, the New Orleans area. And when Hurricane Katrina hit, he was a young kid and he has a remarkable story about kind of what happened after that and uh, what life has been like since then and, and what he's gone through personally, what his family had to go through. And uh, I just really wanted to get him on here to share his story. And so I hope you guys enjoy it. Again, this is me with David Bozarge. All right, guys, thanks and have a good one. All right, man, you uh, want to pull that up? Get it, get as close as you can there. Yeah. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm all right. You, uh, did you have a busy day? I did, man. Well, I wouldn't say that. Things are kind of slowing down at work, but I am... Uh... 
I'm trying to stay occupied. I'm trying to stay employed. What do you uh, What do you do? So I'm an assembly mechanic for Boeing. Okay. And I work on the triple seven X, which hasn't. Um, it's not in the air yet. So it's just a weird situation, you know, with the stuff with the seven thirty seven on top of COVID. Now stuff was in. that the seven thirty seven the computer problem with the landing adjusting and things like that? So I don't. I'm a simple mechanic. They don't tell me nothing. You know right, what I mean? Right. So whatever really happened, I don't really know. But yes, that's what I've heard. Okay. I mean, but so it was supposed to like level things out. Yes. And it there yeah. were some issues. You got it. Yeah. Gotcha. Basically, whatever you know is what I know. Gotcha. So yeah, they don't yeah. tell me nothing. But cool. I didn't know you were doing that. What did you do before? What were you doing before? You were so work a trainer. Yeah. So I was a kickboxing trainer at the nine round around here. Actually, did that Where, for a little what bit. What was it called? Nine round. Nine round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right by the Wang Gang and. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. So you're yeah. a kickboxer. No, I'm not. No, no, no. So you can just train people. Well, no. I mean, I've got like a little bit of experience with that stuff, but my like my dad was a boxer. Okay, very good boxer, and uh, I kind of grew up in that environment. And so I just had the, I guess, a little bit of knowledge and that stuff. So I just trained. I trained middle aged women on how to kickbox. So it was more of a cardio. Type it was. Thing. It was all about cardio, man. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was training fighters. That'd be totally different, dude. Right. So, right. Yeah. Good deal, man. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Yeah. Glad uh, to be here. If if you haven't uh, met David before, David's a good buddy of mine. David Borzage. How do you say your last name? Bozarch. Bozarch. It was close enough. Borzage is what I said. <laughs> Bozarch. Um, yeah, I get all kinds of stuff. So that, was, that was pretty good. All right, so David's uh, a buddy of mine that I met a few years ago, and uh, man, he's just got a cool story that I haven't really heard all the way. So I wanted to uh, bring him in here and and kind of get to know him a little better. And I thought it'd be cool to share that with uh, with you. So, um, you know, let's kick things off with where are you from, man? So, uh, so I'm kind of I'm from the Gulf area, uh, but from initially from before I was in St. Louis, I lived in Oklahoma. And actually, if you do the math, I actually lived in Oklahoma most of my life. Okay, Though, but born in the Gulf area, like yeah. New Orleans, or yeah. So, like, I grew up in. So, I was born in Florida and kind of moved around. I think I've lived on all the Gulf states at some point. My dad was in fast food, okay. uh, managed fast food. And so with that, you travel all the time, man. Right. Like, like that's starting up new stores, exactly. things like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And from, and that's actually my parents met was fast food. They okay. both like managed fast food. Apparently were very good at it and just, um, moved around a lot because of that. And so, um, most of my memory though, from my childhood is Louisiana. So Louisiana, um, I tell people I lived in new Orleans. It's like when you tell people out of state, you live in St. Louis, right? I didn't necessarily live in New Orleans, but in a place called Slidell. But if you Slidell? Know where, I've heard of Slidell. Okay, but if you know where Slidell is, you know I didn't live in Slidell either. I lived in a little suburb outside of Slidell. So, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to explain, but I lived, it, it was called Pearl River. Pearl River. Yeah. Nolens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's where I seem to have spent most of my time, or at least most of my memories, man. But, you know, things kind of get, you know, as you get older, things get fuzzy. I know I'm young, but like still like pretty yeah. much everything before eight years old. I'm like, I have no idea where I was, but I was just living life. Man. And so you were down South there. And how old are you now? 23. 23. So yeah, you're a young guy. I knew yeah. you were young. I just didn't know if you were 25, yeah, 23. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what was life like down in Slidell? Dude. So it's funny you asked, I was talking to somebody about that today. The culture of the South is so much different yeah. than it is here, man. I always make the joke that, or even Oklahoma, which is not South, by the way, as much as they like to think it is. But even in Oklahoma, the culture is so much different. It's not that far from here. But in places like the South, you know, if you cut somebody off in traffic, it's like, 
sorry, you know, you, you to put the hand up. But here, if you cut somebody off in traffic, you better flip them off. That's the St. Louis way, <laughs> right, man. Right. You know what I mean? So it, the culture is just different there. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying like St. Louis. I love this. By the way, St. Louis is the best place I've ever lived. I'm going to live here hopefully for the rest of my life. That's our plan. But um, the, it's just a different culture. It's like that old Southern charm. It, the stereotype, it totally exists. It's I mean, really there. Yeah, it's really there. That is the culture of that area. So even though, you know, a lot of people base their morals on religion, even if people weren't religious in the South, they seem to have this morality that seemed very religious in some ways. Like it just, it was a good sense of um, quality of people in those areas. And the people were so good to you from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was... Um, seemed a little more trustworthy and don't get me wrong. There's crime just like there is anywhere and there's, um, violence and there's problems, but it was a great community to be in. That's cool. So what, what, uh, were your parents working a lot when you were a kid? Yeah. Were so, they around? So weird, kind of a weird situation. And this is where I'm a little unsure because I'm so young, man, but, um, my dad always worked and always worked at least two, but even from my own memories, three Sometimes four jobs. Wow. So that my mother could not, did not have to work because my dad has an extreme sense of, mor- of morals and um, values and qualities of what a family looks like. And um, my parents are amazing. And I'll, I'll share more about that maybe a little later, but they're just so good at what they do. But so my dad worked all the time, whereas my mom actually didn't. I don't really have very many. Now that, you know, it seemed like when I got into like middle school, my mom started working. But even through some of the harder times, my mom didn't work. My dad just had such a traditional mindset of like, no, I'll make this happen. And he always did. But so my mom stayed at home. So with all that being said, I was so close to my mom. Right. right. Um, I was in being the only son too. Okay. So you were an only child. No, well, I'm the only son. Okay. So gotcha. I actually have four siblings. The living situation was a little different though. I lived with two of them mostly, uh, but I do have two other siblings. So are they step sisters? So I've got siblings or half? So, so halves. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, both my parents were married before they met. Gotcha. Uh, which is really odd because I have two sisters named Shelby. That's kind of strange. It's a very strange situation, <laughs> both from the prior marriage and they got together. Yeah, it's very crazy. Very crazy. But what are the odds of that? I wonder. Dude, so wild, man. <laughs> yeah, they should do some reports. Like the uh, CDC needs to figure that out. Need to <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how well their numbers are <laughs> <Yeah>. doing lately. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Slidell, blended family. Yeah. But mom's staying home. Yeah. You guys are, your dad's working a lot. Right. What's it like running around there as a kid? Yeah. Just so getting into trouble or having fun? Well, you know, it's kind of, again, so because I was, my mom stayed home, my dad worked, um, the living situation was very unique in the sense that um, I don't like saying we were poor by standards of like, government in- and income and things like that, the government would say they're a poor family, you know? Um, but we really weren't. It's just from the, the kind of standards that maybe you and I have now as adults and we're making money and, we, you know, our spouses work and things like that. Um, you might see it as like, man, they really didn't seem to have much, but we lived in a small two bedroom home um, with both my parents, um, two of my sisters, myself and my grandmother. Okay. Um, and so kind of a, a, a tight situation there. But again, we were very close. All of us were very, very close. My grandma actually um, lived in the garage, um, kind of made it a little homie in there. Um, the girls had a bedroom, um, parents had a bedroom, and then I actually slept on the back porch. Um, 
Again, was it like screened in? Yeah, so it's screened in. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't like totally open. It was screened in, and if I, if I remember correctly, it was I mean really ghetto Jimmy Riggs, man. But it's kind of like they tried to insulate it almost with just some I don't I don't even know what to call it, man. It really was a weird, really weird situation. Like I could see through the the screen, like I could see outside all the time. Um, so it would get cold in there. It would get oh, hot, for sure, hot in man. there. Oh, for sure. I'll never forget that, man. Yeah, I mean, um, but again, though. Because of the situation, they could have just said, hey, all three of you need to go squeeze in that little bedroom. Right. You know what I mean? But my dad, because of his mentality of like, I want to give to my kids what I didn't have. And I mean, if my dad was in this area, you would love to have him on this because his story is just absurd. It's not even believable. I mean, it's just the most insane stuff. But he always was like, my kids will have better. And um, because of that, he was like, you know, I want to give my gift to my son of being having his own room. How cool would that be? Yeah. I never had had one. Um, and so I'd got in my own room. It was just, you know, it was on the back porch. That's what my dad made work though. Um, so that was kind of the, the living situation there again. Great, great family. Um, but since my mom stayed home, we were actually homeschooled. Oh, okay. Yeah. We know that. Homes- yeah. Homeschooled through most of my older sister's life. I was only homeschooled for two years. My younger sister only for a year. Um, but I, I really don't have much memory of being homeschooled, but I do have memory of my first year of public school, like testing out of my grade. Yeah. Because my mom again, did such a good job, such a great job. Because none of us are like that smart, or really not. But she just really poured into us and was like, "This, you need to know this. You need to know how to read." And I loved reading. And my mom made reading great for me. And I wish the school system did that for kids now, but they don't. Um, but yeah. my mom made it great for me, so I loved reading and it exercised my brain. And um, my parents really poured into me. Um, however, and I'm not trying to get ahead of you or anything here, but. Um, Leading into Katrina, um, when that was coming, it was kind of just weird timing with it all because my dad had just had a shoulder injury at his job, at his main job. And because of it, uh, he had to go on workman's comp. It was really serious. Had to have surgery. He was just immobile with right, his arm right. for a while. And I hate to, to say that because sometimes I think people, we have this... Um, idea that people abuse workman's comp that people do, but that is not my dad. My dad's a very, very hard worker. Um, if you knew him, you'd know that. So for him to not be working and then must've been, been hurting pretty bad. Yeah. It it hurts him. And you know, the money's not as good. We already kind of struggled in that way. Um, it just wasn't a good situation for us. My dad was frustrated, man. I mean, he's a working man. Like my dad's a workaholic. Like he works and then comes home and like plays in the yard till he goes to sleep. I mean, that's his life. That's what he likes to do. That's cool. So, so then I guess, you're you're all living in that house together. Yeah. Your dad gets hurt. Yeah. And then that's, you know, one of the the main topics I wanted to hit on is that, you know, at a young age, Katrina hit New yeah. Orleans and the whole Gulf, Gulf Coast. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, your family was uprooted, right? So, so let's get into like, you know, how that kind of came down yeah. and, and uh, you know, when did you hear that it was maybe going to be a a big storm and what yeah. were those days like leading up to that? Cause I can't yeah. imagine that. So, so it's different than like, at least here you have a, an idea of storms with a sense of like tornadoes. Now I don't know if you've ever experienced a tornado. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Kansas, yeah. um, the thing with tornadoes that is actually a little worse is like, you don't get any heads up. It's like you all of a sudden it's like, you need to get in your shelter right now. Or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Whereas with a hurricane, you get days notice. And so many people chose to evacuate. I would say most chose to evacuate because it was stressed how serious this storm was. And if I remember, 
we had a pretty good advance of how terrible it really was going to be in a real sense within like three, four days. I mean, yeah. I mean, they knew it was going to be, yeah, big. it was yeah. a big deal. Um, now here's the, uh, the kicker with this is it, it really is tricky to evacuate uh, for low income families because you're, you're competing with everyone else in the sense of like nearby hotels even, or do you have family nearby? All of our family lives in the Gulf. Like, we're all equally screwed here. Like there's nothing to do. So my family's mindset was, well, we've been through several hurricanes because we have been through many hurricanes before. Didn't really think much of it. You just stay in the house a couple of days, play some games um, and everything will be okay. You know, it's like a snowstorm. Here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just kind of, you just wait it out. Well, and if you're in that low income, you know, if that's where you kind of fall as a family, it's not like you have a couple cars that can you yeah. can load up all your stuff and hit the road yes. and go you know go yeah. three or four hours north and get a nice hotel for a week yeah. and so yeah so yeah I, I would imagine that puts a whole nother strain on trying to figure out what to do yeah and I think with that too people want to the I want to I want to really hit on this too and help you guys understand how great my parents really were because they did try. I don't want anybody to think that like my parents were being negligent or or, or stupid because that was not the case. It just really was just impractical. If they actually understood what was going to happen, they might have done something different, found a way, but they just felt like this was the best case scenario right. for us. Um but even leading up to it, we said, okay, we're staying, nothing's nothing, no one's leaving. Um I actually had to call my mom because I have this memory of my grandma being there because she did live with us, but my mom swears that she was not there. That for some reason she was visiting someone in Florida, which is where she's from or something. But I remember my grandma being there. She said she wasn't. Um, but we also had some friends, I guess, of my dad's that were with us. So on top of my family, all of us, the, the six of us, and then um, another family, we were all in this little house. Um, I don't know why they were with us but they were with us. So we're all in this little house. Um, and here comes the storm and with hurricanes, it starts out just really rainy. Just looks like a terrible rainstorm. It's never going to stop. Like the sideways rain, man. Right. Like it right. Is really coming down. Um, within a couple of days, the, or within the next day, we really started to get that eye of the storm. Um, now the thing with the eye is though it doesn't come with all the flooding, that the rest of the storm comes with, it comes with the most intense winds. Um, and that's when I, th- I believe from my perspective, things get really tragic. Um, cause a lot of the footage of course is the flooding because it's, it appears to be look more tragic, but sure. really with those winds, um, knocking structures. Down exactly. And, and that's exactly it, man. And I remember, um, we were, uh, we were getting together for something. I don't know if it was getting ready to eat or something. And then I just remember, hearing the howling wind, like it just really picked up. And then I hear crashing right next to me and it's coming from the back porch. And so we go out to look and, uh, the back porch is gone. Your bedroom is my bedroom. Exactly. Everything that I, that I, that I own is gone. It just, it was crazy. It's like, as if something had picked it up and took it away and all one piece. I mean, it was the craziest thing. It's just like nothing had ever been there. Yeah. And it started out with that. And then if you look to the left from the backyard to the left, the neighbor's property is gone. The entire property. It lived on like a little trailer. It is gone. No idea where the neighbors are. The property's gone. And that was just by the next day. 
I mean, hurricanes are several days long. Right. Could be months depending on your situation. Um, I believe it was just the next day or maybe even later that day, a tree had uprooted and went through the window of my sister's room. And so while you guys are still in the house, we're in the house, we've never left the house throughout this whole thing. So all these things are happening. So what's it like in the house at that time when all this is happening? Is it just so drawn out that like, you know, you're not really just peeking out the window the whole time because it's you're, you're yeah, there really isn't like a lot of watching, especially from like a child's perspective. Yeah. How old were you? So I was eight, eight years old, eight, my little sister, seven. And, um, so when you're a kid, man, your perspective on this is just like, it's not a big deal. You're a kid. You're thinking about kid stuff, man. So we're just, my little sister and I are probably like arguing, probably playing some, arguing some, just trying to get through the days. We're stuck in the house. I can't go right. outside. And your dad's injured? Dad's injured, yeah. He's got the shoulder injury. And um, But after the, the tree went through sister's room, well, that eliminates another room. Now no one can go in there because water is flooding the room. And so we're just keeping wow. the door shut, just trying to keep water out, trying to keep debris from coming in. I'm, and again, this is for days. So we've got to figure out how to keep water from coming in, um, trying to take care of the house the best we can. Um, so we're basically all confined into our living room. And this is a two-bedroom house. really wasn't that big. And uh, I remember um, sleeping. I started to like really grow a fear from this storm, but I think in storms in, in general, it, ladder in my life, I guess, but really after this storm, it really struck, struck a fear in me and the reality of like people die from this. Yeah. Um, and it was funny cause I called my mom and I remember being like, mom, I just want to be really honest. And I was eight years old. So I just want to be honest when I'm sharing this with my friend, I have this memory. Did I see dead people floating outside? And she said, I don't think that's true. The flooding wasn't quite that bad, but we tried so hard to shield that from you because that was the reality that we were seeing. And it was just all over the news. And the tragedy was just so, um, it seemed like a, a nuclear disaster had just yeah. happened. Because, I mean, you could go outside and you would just see debris lined up on the roads. I mean, there was people's couches. There was um, stoves, stovetops and all kinds of stuff. It was like, how did this get outside? Right. It's, people's homes are destroyed. And things are carried down the road from water. Um, and, and how many miles from the coast is Slidell? Like you know, 5, 10 miles or 15, 20? I want to say, I mean, I don't want get to this, get this wrong. I remember, I just remember we, we went to the Gulf often to throw, throw a net, catch shrimp. Yeah. And it seemed like it only took a couple of minutes, but you know, I was eight years old. So yeah, right, I can't, right. quite, I can't, I don't know if I remember off the top of my head, but it only seemed like it took a couple of minutes. So maybe 10, 15 miles, I would okay, imagine. Gotcha. It was close to New Orleans. So, I mean, if that, if that, yeah, so that should be pretty close. Yeah. So you were getting, I wonder if you were getting the, the breach water that came over the levees or were you getting more of just heavy rain flooding or a combination of the two? Well, you know, the flooding truly was not that bad. I mean, we got water in the house, but who didn't? You know what I mean? There's people whose houses were underwater. Right. Our our house, just water in the house. So you weren't close enough to no, that. No, gotcha. no, no, no. Okay. I, I wouldn't say so. I do have this memory though, going outside and I was eight, but like the water was like up to my knees, man. Like yeah. going outside across the entire, I mean, it was, it was quite a lot, but it wasn't like over the house. We were like sleeping on the roof. You know right, what I mean? Right. There were uh, some people. There were some that. dude. There yeah. really were. And it really, and I've talked to my mom, we realized how fortunate really the situation was because we at least had a home. 
it was kind of broken and beaten, but at least we had somewhere to be. But there were people sleeping on their roofs, no food or anything either. Wow. So, so yeah, let's talk about that. So after the storm gets done, yeah. you guys made it through, you're alive, you've got damage to the property, your neighbor's place is gone. Yeah. Um, you start probably wandering around surveying the damage in the neighborhood and then trying to figure out your next move from what you remember. What's that like? Yeah. So basically we're just trying to figure out what's the next step to survive, um, in this environment because things are destroyed. You don't have power, so you can't cook, you know, you're stuck with whatever's in a box to eat, things like that. So we're like, what is the next move for us? And so we actually hung for a couple more days, waited to get some news from someone from the outside basically. And, um, from my understanding, what had happened is some guy working on the, the poles and the electricity, just trying to get power going to these places, told my parents, he said, no doubt it will be months before you even have power back at this place. Wow. And it was hot. It was August. You know what I mean? It's hot and, and the South, humid. You know, they were like, we don't want to live in this. And so we're like, what do we do? We don't have anything. I mean, everything's destroyed. Everything's water damaged or I mean, we don't have anything. And so um, we actually drove to Florida to my aunt's place. And decided that we would meet up there, just have a place to go and figure something out. And um, when, so when you left town, was it just crazy with traffic and people? Dude, you would and, never believe it. I, yeah, I remember the, seeing the, footage. The it, My mom describes it as like snow plows had basically to clear the road of all of the debris, would just plow everything to the side of the road. And she described it as going through tunnels because you couldn't see to your right or your left. It was just debris everywhere but she said driving through it actually wasn't too terrible and i think it's because we waited so long afterwards yeah where some people were just like we're out you know what i mean and that's when all people you know that's when all the traffic happens but um from talking to my parents they said the traffic wasn't terrible it was that the debris it was just the all the disparity was just such a downer on and and new orleans really wasn't a, a a i don't want to say unpleasant I, again, I love the, the place, but there's so many people who saw, thought of New Orleans as a, a place of disparity anyway. Right. And so because of the looting and all it, that. Yes. And, all yeah. of the things that have been going on, it just, it just made things look worse and just depressing all the time. Yeah, and so, yeah. um, I know it sounds, it sounds like a impractical, but I think a lot of the leaving was too, just to evade all of the disparity, all right. of the darkness that was going on. We just needed to leave. Um, and so going to Florida, and being with my aunt for a couple of days or whatever, gave us somewhere to stay, somewhere with air conditioning, something, some food to eat. Um, but after a couple of days, we actually, we do go back to see if there's anything salvageable because in that time, my aunt from Oklahoma had called and was like, you just need to come stay with us. You don't have any options. Come stay with us. So we go back and, um, someone had, I don't know who, I don't know if it was another neighbor or something. I told my dad that someone had broken into our home and stole everything that was, um, salvageable. Oh, wow. So stole all of our food from the freezer. Um, stole anything that was dry. Um, all the clothes that were dry, uh, anything that was there was stolen. And so, um, so you guys said, have nothing. We have literally nothing. We literally, the quote, all we have is the clothes on our back. We literally only had the clothes on our back. Um, the only thing that my mom saved and she treasures this was, um, on the back porch were my bucket of dinosaurs that I was obsessed with. And there were so many stinking dinosaurs in there. It held the weight of being carried off. And so my mom actually took them 
after being water damaged, cleaned him up real good, and has actually saved every single one of those that she could and still has that bucket of dinosaurs to this day. And is, That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. But it was the only thing I actually able to save. And I think they actually went back later after that, after even going to Oklahoma to go get those things. Um, so you guys make your way now. The plans, let's go to Oklahoma. Yeah. Try to... And, like, I can't imagine having a family being, like, you know, a man like your dad sounds, a proud guy, wants yes. to take care of the yeah. family. He's injured. He, all of his jobs are in that area. Yeah. Most people don't have tons of money saved up that yes. they can just go and yeah. take some time, figure things out. I mean, he's got to hit the ground running when you get to Oklahoma. Yeah, and what's really insane is when you realize how young my dad is, he would have been... Let's see, 2005, he's been 29 years old. Oh, wow. And he's got three kids with him. Got a, you know, his mother-in-law is staying there. You know, he's got that other family with him. If you know my dad, my dad takes charge. He's he's always the guy in charge in every situation. So he's, yeah. he has to figure it out. And we all look to my dad to figure this out. And so, like you said, that pressure, I can only imagine. And I could never get it out of my dad. I probably could never get it out of my mom. But looking back and looking at some of these scenarios, I can, I can see, I can look back at those times and see that my dad was stressed and he was yeah. angry and there was something bothering him. And, um, he, yeah, he had to make quick decisions and were they always the best? We don't know, but it seemed like he had to make a decision. And so yeah. if going to Oklahoma was the, was the right decision in my mind. I think so. My life turned out pretty okay. But, um, there was always a lot of questions for people who did stay. Why did you leave? Um, it was cause we didn't have an option. We felt yeah. like we didn't have an option. Right. Right. Um, but at least going to Oklahoma again had a place to stay. Um, I remember going to a church too shortly after, like one of my first memories of a church, and asking in, in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, okay. yeah. But again, we weren't going to church. We actually just went to ask for underwear because we didn't have any underwear. Oh my gosh! So we went and asked for underwear. I remember them getting us underwear, and um, that was actually I don't know why I just recall that. I just recall that first memory of like this is what a church is. They give you underwear. So when as a kid, you weren't. Your family wasn't in the church, involved Dude, in the so church. So crazy. My family says I went to church pretty much at least a couple years of my life. I have zero memory of that. So I must have been pretty, I don't know if they say when I was a baby, I don't know if they literally meant a baby, but at some point I had to have gone to church. And yeah. even you, sometimes when they say names, I'll be like, oh, I remember that guy. And they're like, he was like their you know, the children's pastor or something. I'll be like, what in the world? Like, I don't have memories of church. But my first like solid memory of church is, is the underwear situation, right? Right, but, right. Um, so do you feel like uh, maybe some of that memory being gone is is because of the trauma I do. of going through Katrina? 100%. So you think if you hadn't have had that, you might have those memories? And that I do, of- 100%. I think I try to blot out everything. I even think I try to blot out subconsciously ideas that I... It, even maybe worse things I could have possibly experienced during Katrina yeah, yeah. that I'm really tried to forget. Um, even events prior to just being just kind of a low income family, but again, where you live, everybody's low income. You know yeah. I mean? So, yeah. but yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of things I try to blot out and maybe even because the church memories happened before Katrina, I was just like everything Katrina before I want gone. Gotcha. And so maybe that has to do with it. I don't think my little sister has any memory of church. I know my older sister does. My younger sister doesn't have any memories of church either. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's wild. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense too, with you thinking you saw bodies and think, you know what I mean? Yes, I can, absolutely. Your mind can play tricks on Especially you. Especially at that years. age. And that's why, and I was just going to come here and talk with you about what I experienced in, but I was like, 
but was that like true? And there was a couple of things where she was like, you saw that on the news. Or I remember when you saw that and you asked me about that. And it was just crazy because you're as yeah. a kid, you will connect things that don't exist. And because I did that too, it even affected my emotional health later on. I connected things about myself that were not true. Right. That I'd convinced myself of. Um so, so moving to Oklahoma, what area in Oklahoma? What city? So it's actually Moore, Oklahoma. I'm sure you've heard about that one on the news. Moore? Yep, Moore, Oklahoma. Maybe what? Gets destroyed by tornadoes all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I kind know a, Oklahoma gets hit all, all the time. Right, yeah. you probably just hear Oklahoma. Yeah. I guess, that's true. I guess if you're from Oklahoma, though, you're like, I mean, if you live in Moore, you get hit by tornadoes. So let's move from uh, the worst hurricane in the world right. to Hurricane Dude, Alley. My whole life, man. I've heard that my whole life. Yeah, like, why would you move here? You know, but that's where we had to go, right? So, uh, but you know what's crazy? I'd never experienced a tornado my entire time at Moore. But I think it was the year we left Moore to move to another another place. Um, they got hit by a huge tornado. Our neighborhood did. So it was just wow. crazy. But anyway, yeah, so we actually lived in Moore with my, with my aunt for months. Um, because again, my dad, it was on workman's comp, but now he doesn't even have a job. Right. I mean, so it's just real fuzzy how, how income's coming along and um, finding a place to stay. And so we actually... School year was starting, all that yeah. stuff, and right? And so my, my dad was still gung-ho on like, no, we're homeschooling our kids. And my aunt was like, how are you going to do that? What, what resources do you have? What are you going right. to do? School's already started. I mean, the school year started. This is, it's September now. And he's like, what are you going to do? And so I, somehow I, they were convinced to put us in public school. Um, and in lieu of that kind of, so it's kind of exciting for us because we've never been to school, but in lieu of that, we got on government housing Okay. Um, in Norman, Oklahoma. So about 30 minutes from more. Yeah. That's where OU is, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my aunt was real big on like, Hey, this elementary school, because my cousin went there a great school. Like you want to put your kids in this school because the area I was living in Norman wasn't necessarily known for being the best area. Sure. Um, so you're like, try to get into the school, use our address. Cause you know, the address stuff. Yeah. 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 Cheat the system. And, uh, so I actually ended up being, my mom drove us to more Oklahoma 30 minutes every day uh, for school. Wow. So you're, you're a ex homeschool kid from Louisiana and you're in Oklahoma yeah, man. and you get thrown into the public school system. How, how was that? Dude. So I'm already a terribly anxious kid. Like I said, I'm very introverted, terribly anxious kid. I already have way too many problems I made up in my own head. So then going to public school, dude, I was my my most terrifying experience in my life really because the, the stuff that you might not think about because you were just always taught it, or you learned in kindergarten, so you might not remember, but I'll never forget this. And my dad actually came to my first day of school and stayed with me in class. I don't know to make sure I was okay, at least for a couple of minutes. Right. You know, they start out the day with the Pledge of Allegiance. Not only did I not know the Pledge of Allegiance, I did not know which side my heart was on. And so I used my left hand to just guess. <laughs> I saw kids, you know, they, right, you know right. they do the thing. And so I was like, and I remember all the kids laughing because I had no idea where my heart was. Right. I guess my mom didn't think I was born to teach me in school. I don't know, but I had no idea where my heart was. But the kids learned where their heart was because from the Pledge of Allegiance, that was a reality. I had no idea where their heart was, but they knew that their heart was on their left side. So they knew to do that. And I remember the kids laughing and being like, I cannot mentally handle this. I was just a stressed yeah. out kid and being like, there's no way I have the mental capacity to deal with this right now. And so... Um, so were you like that before Katrina and I, you struggle with that? I, I was, but to a childlike degree, but I think after Katrina, it became very serious, like health serious. Gotcha. Cause things got shook up so much. Yeah. I was, I, I would say, and all of us were in some way a little traumatized Yeah, and 
for some reason, my parents would say the same, for some reason it just really affected me. I don't know if it's just because I was just at that age where I had the memories, but I was a child, whereas my older sister, maybe a little more mature, my younger sister doesn't even remember Katrina. I mean, like I was just at that age, I guess it was just really traumatizing for me. And so it just really amplified all the things that I was feeling. And I remember developing this idea of like, especially when I would become anxious or depressed, I would hyperventilate, I would freak out, I would just fall on the floor, whatever the case may be. And I remember at one point, I think I was eight, I was still eight, or maybe I was, it was actually, I was nine because it was third grade, convincing myself that maybe if I didn't exist, then my parents wouldn't have to deal with this. My teachers wouldn't have to deal with this. It would be a better scenario for everyone if I didn't exist. And that wasn't necessarily like a suicidal thought, but it was actually, I was practically logically trying to think through how can I be less of a convenience for everyone? Because I can remember constantly telling myself I'm inconvenient to this person right now because they're having to deal with me doing this or. Wow. So you were self-aware at that young age. Extremely self-aware. And that's why I think I struggled so much, even socially with friends and stuff. Cause I was always creating these ideas in my head that not even being self-aware, really making things up because I was trying to be self-aware because I didn't want to be an inconvenience to anyone. And again, I don't know where those ideas came from, but I remember nine years old thinking that for the first time, maybe if I didn't exist, like if I was just not here, this wouldn't be such a problem for so many people. Yeah, Um, that's sad, man. And I, but I, I can totally relate, you know, in my story, I definitely at a young age, I don't know when, but I kind of never wanted anybody to worry about me. Yeah. And like, I would just always act like I had everything under control though. Yeah. Um, You know, I didn't necessarily know back then that it was anxiety, depression type stuff. And I've, you know, I've definitely figured that out over the last, you know, few years, especially with my, you know, my story and uh, sobriety and things and, and learning how to deal with those things the right way. But I can't imagine having all that trauma, trying to figure that yeah. out and getting thrown into a new world. So that's tough. So then, you know, how long does that hap- stay, you know, stay in your life as like a very hard thing to overcome? Do you start kind of overcoming that? Do, you're, do you get some help with that? So it got to a point, I think by the time I got into fourth grade, um, it become, it just didn't seem to um, get better or even say the same. It seemed to kind of get worse. It was like every day kind of having these panic attacks, like in the middle of school. And, um, it was just getting really tricky again for my teachers, for my, for my mom. And, uh, they actually got me, um, help with it, with a psychologist, right. Uh, meeting with a psychologist to understand like where these thoughts are coming from. And, um, my mom just assumed Katrina rightfully so. Cause I think that did stem a lot from that and said, and kind of explained to my psychologist what was going on. And, um, so, um, I did get to meet with someone and right. And I actually concluded this idea, which is a totally unhealthy idea that, um, psychologists, counselors, um, it's not real. Those people are not, they don't actually do anything. It's like a facade of an idea. We used to like bandaid things. I and don't know where I created this idea, but I remember thinking after about halfway through my sessions of being like, nothing's changing. Therefore, right. this isn't real. And when you when you do that, you are preventing yourself from being helpable. And so I'm exempting myself from someone who's extremely knowledge, someone who does care, someone who wants to prevent these things from happening. And I'm exempting myself because I'm like, well, nothing's changed yet. And so after about 
I think it was about a year of seeing her. Um, I had kind of relieved some of the anxiety. wasn't really having a lot of panic attacks at school. So my mom had uh, pulled me out of it. Said he's good. He doesn't need to do this anymore. He's he's fine now. Um, and were you medicated? I wasn't. So my I remember my dad being pretty against it. Right at the time, I don't know what his, his ideas are of it now, but I think my parents had both been medicated for stuff like that at some point and felt that it wasn't good for them. And so maybe they feel like it was good for me. So no, there was just, I don't know how the, like the anxiety and stuff to kind of slow down. I, re- I do remember slowing down though. I remember not having as many, not being as often. Maybe it was because the psychologist helped. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And so, and I actually, I do believe that looking back on it because it seemed like shortly after being pulled out, I started having those problems again and there were yeah. less anxiety and more signs of depression. Gotcha. And just being like, and it, it Someone, I think when you experience depression, you can really differentiate between like sadness and depression, man, because depression is like really debilitating. It feels like you're stuck and you can't move. I just remember having days, days, just feel like I'm laying in my bed because there's no other reason to get up. And when you do that, I think you allow yourself to think way too much about way too many things and it made it significantly worse. Yeah. And was your depression targeted around or was it about one certain thing or was it just kind of everything? It was everything, dude. Well, I remember having these, these thoughts a lot of, I had some family that died shortly after Katrina, my uncle, my grandfather, and I had connected again, the things kids will think of connected uncle died, grandpa died, dad's next. It was all my dad's side. And so I convinced myself my dad was going to die all the time. So my dad had to sit and explain to me that he wasn't but he couldn't be like, I'm never going to die. Cause that's right, not gonna, you right, know, that's I didn't tough. understand what he's saying. And I'm, I'm like, but look, but uncle, uncle daddy died. And a papa died. Like, and he's like, but that's not, that's not how that works, you know? And, but for years I thought that, so that was a lot of it. And then I think just, I was bullied in school, but not like beaten bully, but just like the little things of just being, uh, having been in public school. So I was dealing with that. So I was kind of the weirder kid at first. I was already quiet, had a hard time making friends. I think just all those things accounted for, Every excuse to not be joyful about something. Sure. You're a glass half empty kid. Exactly. Always, dude. Yeah. Always. And I'm sure if you're coming in having freakouts in school, yeah. kids are mean, man. Dude, they're they're yeah. going to pick on you. Yeah. You know? And it was always like, well, and the hardest thing was when I went to go see the psychologist. I call her, she was a kid psychologist, what she was, but um, counselor or whatever you want to call her. I had to do it on Tuesday. I'll never forget. Every Tuesday, it was like at 1.30. So I had to leave school early. And at the time, now it's like cool to be like, I go, I go, I guess I see someone, you know, like it's like cool now, you know what I mean? But at the time it was totally not cool. Like no. you did not want kids to know that you had that going on. And so I remember just, I would lie all the time. Be like, oh, this Tuesday I got this, you know, or I was gone yesterday because this, you know, I was always making stuff up because I did not want people to know. Right. And uh, when kids did find out that was devastating for me too, because that was like a, it wasn't like they were picking on me. They were just be like, Hey. I know you're depressed. You know, like kids do that. Like it's yeah, crazy. They're that so sucks. blunt, man. And especially at a young age, kids don't even know what that means. It, they don't. You They're know? just like the they other heard kids. it from their mom or something that, right. you know, Courtney's kids messed up or something yeah. you know, or whatever. So, you know, you're struggling through adolescence. Yeah. What, what, uh, do things kind of stay? And I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Do you still struggle with anxiety and depression? I think I do. I yeah. think I, and I think I, um, I, the way I explain the way I conquer anxiety, depression, I think it's this way for a lot of people is you have to conquer it every single day. Yeah. Um, I think 
I sometimes wake up and I'm just depressed. Yeah. I just don't, and no explanation. I just am not joyful about anything. Um, and because of that, as I got into like middle school, I started exploring ideas of like, okay, again, at this time, I didn't believe the counseling worked. Um, seemed like nothing was getting better and I was so sick and tired of it. So I was like, I will either find something or I'll kill myself by 14. So I said, I would only go through it for a temporary time. I was not going to go through it for years and years and years. I said by 14. So I was like 12. So I was like two years, I give myself two years. I'll figure it out or I'll kill myself. And so you start seeing things on TV and you start to see like, you know, when someone on TV goes through a breakup, they, they drink, you know? So I'm like, well, maybe I'll try that. We'll see what that does. And you know, you try that and you're like for a moment, it helps. It makes you feel good for a little bit for a moment, doesn't it? Like you kind of forget things for a moment. Yeah. And then, but what would happen was as soon as it was over next day, a couple hours, whatever the case may be, nothing's better. It's actually significantly worse. Right. Cause the way, and that's actually chemically what those, what these things do to you, like drugs and alcohol. And I was just trying all these different ideas and I was like, well, what about girls? Maybe some girl will make me feel better. And so you start, doing stupid stuff with girls. You're not supposed to be doing at 13, 14 years old. And I'm trying all these things and I'm like, this is not working. And during all of this, I am doing everything I can to mask any of this for my family. Right. Right. I don't want them to know what my ultimate plan is. And my mom hears that she's going to be pissed because she has no idea. But like I was dead set 14, I'm cutting it off and, um, cut to 14. I'm going into high school and, um, I had a girlfriend at the time. And so I told myself that if we, when we break up, I would do it then because I didn't feel like it was fair to have a girlfriend and to do that myself and her think it was her looking back on it though. If a girl breaks up with you and then you kill yourself, that don't look good either for her. You know what I mean? It just didn't seem fair for anybody. Yeah. That's, this is what a 14 year old is all thinking, serious okay? stuff. Yeah. And again, I know as an, as an adult, you're like, this is bizarre. But as at 14, I'm thinking this. Yeah. That's crazy. And so I'm like, maybe after the girlfriend thing doesn't work out. And uh, I meet this kid in class and I'm like, this kid is real high. I'm like, I need to get with this guy at some point. Just figure out what school. he's got. Yeah. I'm like, I need to get with this guy. And he's like, um, I'm talking to him. I'm like, dude, let's be honest right now. Where are you getting the stuff, dude? You're messed up. And he's like, I'm, I'm just really tired. And it turns out this kid was just really tired. He really was, <laughs> but like, he was really having a hard time staying awake in school. And, uh, he was a really funny guy. He was a cool guy. And he was like, dude, you should come to church with me sometime. And I was like, okay, what happens there? What do we, what do we do there? You know, are we getting high there? You know what I mean? And I was <laughs> yeah, like, what's yeah. going on? What are they church? giving us? Yeah. Like what do you, what goes on there? And so he, he, he invited me to church and I wasn't really too into it. I wasn't interested in doing it at first. And, uh, so he tried, tried that a couple of times, just really wasn't interested. He's like, dude, why don't you come to a, my family group? I'm like, what is a family group? You know? And that's the equivalent of like life groups or like kind of what new hope small has. group. Yeah. 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 Something like that. And so people at houses hanging yeah, out. Talking. So when he explained to me, when he was like, Oh dude, we just go to some guy's house, we hang out, we eat. I was like, okay, I can do that. Right. Like I right. like you. That sounds like a fun situation. I could do that. Yep. And, um, get into that and it's a, it's a Bible study and they start introducing ideas of God, who he is, what he does. And I only have questions because because your, your mind is going, I'm going and I'm reflecting on like, okay, I'm about to make a pretty major decision on my life. So 
convince me that this is real. And so I got really hung up on like the philosophy and science behind who God is, what he does, is the scripture real? How do I know that it's real? And I only asked questions um, and based a lot of my questions and reasoning on my emotions based on how I had felt the past you know, eight years of my life, seven years of my life. Um, and what was great about that was that there was someone, a leader there who responded in a manner that was encouraging and didn't always know the answer. And I was okay with that because he at least responded honestly. And it, even though it wasn't always what I wanted to hear, he showed me that there was someone who could be honest, that maybe did care that, and it gave me the idea of, well, maybe through the anxiety, through the depression, this person will make fun of me. This person will sure. be available for me. You know what I mean? Maybe I've got someone. Um, so that was kind of your, that got you over the hump. If, yeah. Initial that kind of, yeah. I would say that kind of was like my, my turn was right there. That first family group that I went to yeah, and feeling like I had a community, even the other kids. So instead of drugs, you found the church and, yeah. and uh, your faith started to build from there. Yes. That's pretty crazy. So then, um, you know, from that point on, is it one of those things where you're kind of plugged in or were, was it still kind of uh, back and forth? It was kind of back and forth. I only tried the life group thing at first because I didn't really, wasn't too interested in church. Didn't have a negative idea of church. Just didn't really, thought the life group thing was more fun. Food, people, yeah. you know, hung out, played some games, stuff like that. Uh they had like video games there and stuff. You know, we just chilled. Um, and we talked afterwards or before or whatever the case may be. But it was after about a month, I decided I would try the church thing. Because all of them went and there was other people. It's a very large youth group. I just went to the youth group. And uh, I'll never forget on a Wednesday night. It was, um, it was February of that year. And um, there was actually the, the youth minister um, decided he wasn't going to speak. He was going to allow another student to share her story on how she came to know who God was. Um, and the base of what she basically said was through all these trials I've been through and it, it was trials of like divorce, um, abuse, um, so many negative aspects that came into fruition in her life through all of that. She knew that she had God there and that God would still accept her despite her sin. And that was a big question that I had in regards to who God was, was why would he be so willing to accept a person with so many problems when he's God? And he's so much bigger than that. Yeah. And so I started to realize like, okay, if that is true, then that means that this is possible. And so that's when... The youth ministry, he had asked if anybody wanted to have a relationship with God. And um, I decided that I was uh, willing to try. And so I waited for all the kids to, because wait, it's weird, like American culture, like how we do church, but it was like, everyone stand up and raise your hand if you want to do this. You know, it was like a, kind of an unusual thing, but that's just how it, we did it. And it was genuine. It was just, there was a structure to it. You know what I mean? Sure. And so um, I ignored all of that because I did not want anyone to know what I was doing is again, I was pretty, pretty to myself. Right. And so, um, I kind of waited for everyone to, to go back or everyone to not really know. So I snuck around the back and I was like, I'll go up front. I'll put my hand up or whatever. And I remember putting, and this is, again, this might seem bizarre for people who may not understand 
who God is or may not believe in this idea of who God is, but I remember putting my hands up and saying, I give up. And when I said I give up, I like immediately fast forwarded minutes later and there's just people surrounding me and they're praying for me and they're expecting salvation out of me. And I remember saying like, I don't know if I can do this because I don't know how committed I can be. And that leader from that life group came to me and he said, well, why don't you just give it a try? And this concept of give it a try was something that I had held on to from that moment until this very, very day. Yeah. And every day when I feel depressed or when I start to feel anxious, I say, well, why don't I just give this a try? Why don't I give God a try today? And it's every day of having to give God a try. And I, I don't want that to come across like maybe my relationship with God isn't, isn't strong because I'm just giving him a try. But it's that's how I get through every day is I'm giving God a try every day. So God, I'm still depressed today. Can you fix it? And it's every day of doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for me, it's God. I, I, and sincerely, I hope for everyone it's God. I know that's not always the case. People find other ways to reflect and cope. But for me, it was God. And from that moment on, I really did turn my life around. I broke up with that girl. That was one thing. Uh, and you didn't do your, you didn't put your plan into Exactly, place which was all part of that plan. motion. Exactly, which was all part of that plan. And I broke up with that girl. I remember thinking like, this was when it was supposed to go down. But I'm like, I don't think this is proper. I don't think it's necessary. I think I got to give God a try. Right. And I just practiced different ideas of the scripture between praying, worshiping, um, studying who he was, understanding him. And, um, it was from then on, like every day I was truly giving God a try in those ways. And from that, I felt really released from the bounds of like depression and anxiety, though they were still present. I didn't feel bound by them. It almost felt like there was someone or something coming in between me and depression every single day. And for me, that was God. Right. So that's wild, man. That's a great, great testimony. And I mean, I I get exactly what you're saying with the give it a try thing because, yeah. you know, listening to you talk right now, my mind is very similar. And at a young age, it was. I was always trying to figure things out. Yeah. And all, my mind just wouldn't shut off. And it was like that. It's It still can be like that, right? And so I'm quick to to kind of pick holes in things and not give stuff a try because yeah. I can find the easier, softer way, or I can find, you know, I can, I can find that shortcut to where I don't have to do this. Yeah. And my problems though, just kept piling up yeah. and I couldn't cope. And I was trying to just live on my own will every day. Yes. And I wasn't doing a good job at it, you know? And so for me, I had to really, my life had to really go down, down the shitter. Yeah. Pardon my French. Yeah. But, you know, things had to really hit bottom for me to want to be able to, to try. Yes. You know? And so, man, I think that's really cool. So then, you know, from then on, let's talk about life, you know, in the more recent years, mm -hmm. you know, I met you at church about three years ago, yeah, you yeah. were the children's pastor yeah. at our church. So yeah. kind of, how did that kind of come to dude? 
from, you know, the teenage years to, yeah. you know, late teens, 20 years old when you were moved right. up here. And You're going to get me excited, man. These are like the best years of my life. <laughs> like from, from like the time I got saved to right now, I'm living the best years of my life. It's crazy. But yeah. dude, I was like, once I decided to give God a try, it took me like a couple of weeks and, it, and then I really want to enunciate on this idea i studied the science of god like i had to be proving god because i wasn't going to waste my time on worshiping praying something that didn't exist and so i had been convinced of god based on science philosophy and those ideas and so i was like this is legit and if this is legit this is a huge deal that other people understand and so i was immediately just spreading spreading the word like crazy, man. I was just obsessed with it and obsessed with the idea of salvation specifically because I had experienced something that sincerely changed my life. And so I wanted to try to at least convince other people of this idea. And so if you look, it's, it's funny now, but like people will, you know, friends of mine who I haven't seen in years will send me a picture and be like, this is the only picture of you in the yearbook. And so it'll be a picture of me like preaching, standing on the tables like I was just so passionate, which was, and I think the reason why I was so like people captured, literally captured the idea is because I was so introverted and I wasn't open to being to like public speaking or like talking in front of anybody, but I was so passionate about this idea and was convinced that like these people need this, this will help them too. Um, and so I did that just through high school. And by the time I was like 16, I was serving the church I'd gotten saved at as like a youth intern kind of thing. And it, that consists of just like stacking chairs for the youth group. Right. You know just what I mean? Doing like whatever. Whatever, man. But dude, I was so down. I mean, I was going straight from school, walking from the school to the church because I just wanted to be available to serve whatever the cause was for that Wednesday night. And it started out that way. And then I had a, a, just a terrible experience with that youth minister that was just kind of unrelated. And he basically just was like, get out, don't come back. Really crazy thing. But my, my faith in God was so strong. I didn't associate that with church, which I think often people do is they associate church and God, which are not the same at all. Yeah. Um, they have bad experience with church. Therefore they hate God. Doesn't really make sense. People are still people, whether they go to church or not. And yeah, uh, you can't put your faith in a person. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, he's basically like, you just leave. And I was like, alrighty then. So I went to, um, discovery church which is like a neighboring it was in the neighboring town um and immediately got plugged in um serving like in any way just like with the youth stacking chairs things like that and someone had come up to me and said man they really need help with the children on sunday mornings and i was like well listen i really hate children <laughs> like i did not like kids man like I would like, if so, if I saw a baby, I would literally, ew, like out loud. I'd ew. I hated kids, man. I just yeah. couldn't, they were just gross to me. They were annoying. You know, I was just, they don't shut up. Yeah, man. I was like, I ain't dealing with all that, you know? And, um, this guy was, was like, well, can you, why don't you just come one Sunday and help me? And I was like, all right, man, I'll come on one Sunday and help you. And one Sunday turns into many Sundays. I'll tell you, if you know, from serving in children's ministry, you never just serve one Sunday. I'll tell you that it just, it becomes like. I was just doing it. And then before I knew it, I was like, I'm serving in children's ministry. Like I'm here every single Sunday doing this. And I just became obsessed with saving children for God because kids have such a legitimate transformation that I think we as adults can't comprehend because they have such a childlike wonder of who God is. And so when you actually convince them that God is so huge 
They are just blown away by this idea. And they're like, I've got to be a part of that. Whereas adults, we like to look at the the science and we like to look at, we want to be proven God. And they do too. We've got to still prove God to children. But when you do prove God and you say like, God is this big, he's this powerful. He has the ability to do this. He, Jesus healed the blind. You know, he like, no one's ever done that, but Jesus can do that. And when you convince kids of this, they're like, this is amazing. This is so cool. And so I got obsessed with just saving children. And so I served later as like the assistant children's director or whatever they called it. I don't know. Um, it's a big church. So there was a lot of positions. So I was helping with the children's ministry. And uh, it was funny because that's when Phil came as a guest speaker. Phil uh, Sadika, New Hope, came as a guest speaker. And um, that's kind of how we connected. But um, And then I ended up moving to St. Louis because Phil had offered – he had basically had offered me a position. I actually called him and said, hey, I want to come be your children's pastor. And he was like, yeah, we've kind of been looking for one. Why don't you come check it out? And um, one thing led to the next. That was like my first like real children's ministry position. I was doing a lot of like children's pastoring and where I was at, but it wasn't like the children's pastor where he right. was like, hey, man, you're like, you're in charge of these kids' souls. Like this is the real deal. And um, And I quickly found out that God was not calling me to do it. And it sounds terrible, because I was only there for like two years, but, and it wasn't, that I didn't have a great experience as I felt extremely unfulfilled. And I was like, why am I not enjoying this? Like I was three years ago. Is it the church? I don't think so. There's something about this. And it was that God was calling me to do something totally different. Right. He took my passion of salvation and was like, but I need you to go to this place, to these places that I can't get anybody else to go to. And so God asked me to do them. And that's where we got so passionate about paper planes and serving the kids in the communities like Alton, going to Granite City, going to East St. Louis after that. We're passionate about those kinds of communities that lived in a similar environment to how I grew up. And I finally feel like for the first time, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, that there was a reason why I didn't off myself when I was 14 years old, that if I did, it wouldn't have led to those salvations. And if I did, it wouldn't lead to me being available for the kids that I've got right now that I have to be available for right now. Because if I wasn't, I don't know if that kid that tried to kill himself and ended up in the hospital would have made it the next day if I didn't show up. And I don't know if I bus wasn't there and the kid and those kids couldn't get on what was going to happen to them that night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty pretty intense, man. So to kind of go back, uh, David was at New Hope Church here in Edwardsville, Glen Carbon yeah. area, and that's where I met David, and he ran the children's program, did a great job, and then he started his own ministry with his wife called Paper Plains Ministry, and they have a couple vehicles. They go into the these inner city areas. They get kids and take them to churches, and they help them, and... and do all kinds of healthy healthy things for them. So that's that's what paper planes is and that's kind of what David's, you know, passion is outside of his his day job. He spends a lot of his time doing that. Yeah. Um and so during that time when you moved here though, you also met somebody pretty important. Yeah, man. So dude. Yeah, that's real jacked up. I did pastor dirty, didn't I? But uh <laughs> he was so like, yeah, so my wife Okay, so I moved here, and uh, by the way, was like totally not 
going to date. I was like, really like, I really just want to focus on my ministry. And I really was, but very quickly, like during the interview process, I met the staff, which was literally just pastor and this girl, Emily uh, at the time. It was small, you know? And, um, so I met her and I was like, dang, that girl's, she's fine. But I was like, but then she was like, oh, I'm like 20. I don't remember how she was at the time. She's like, I'm 23. And I was 19 when I came over here. I was young, man. So I was like, ah, that's too old. Like she probably, she's probably not interested, you know? And I was like, she also works here and I'm trying to work here. That's not going to work anyway, you know? And so I just, I totally threw it out. Like just was like, she's attractive, but like threw it out, not interested in dating anyway. That was it. And, uh, so we were doing like, you know, I was in the, anyway, I get hired we started doing like all these staff meetings and all these staff meetings. We keep talking about when we get a youth pastor, we'll start a youth ministry. And when we get a youth pastor, uh, all the teenagers will be able to do this and all that stuff. And I was like, can we stop saying that? It's driving me insane. Like we can start a youth ministry right now. There's three of us right here. We can start it right now. And I was like, I'll do it. I was like, I'll do We'll just, I'll, I'll pick another night. That's not Sunday when we have kids church and I'll do it. And he was like, that's great. But he's like, you know, there's gonna be teenage girls there. You really need to have another lady there for, you know, accountability and things like that. Sure. And Emily was like, I'll do it. You know, I got nothing going on. You know, I got nothing going on whatever night we picked or whatever. And so we have our first youth night and all the kids go home and Emily's like, can I stay? And I was like, no, because I had like, I had this crazy experience with this girl who, who, when I was younger, it was like 17 or something. She had totally lied about a situation and almost got me in some trouble. So I was like really reluctant about having girls in my apartment, you know? And so it was cool when it was like, cause we had, so anyway, the youth was at my apartment at yeah, the time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, so she was there and she, and all the kids left. She's like, so can I stay here? And I was like, just hang out, not the night, but she just wanted to hang out for a couple hours or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, you can't. And she's like, what, like, what if we just, you know, just like trying to find loopholes just hanging out with me. And, uh, cause we were building a friendship. It wasn't like, it was, I didn't find it to be weird. She either. Cause we were really kind of hanging out outside of that meeting about youth and stuff like that. And she's like, we'll just hang out for a little bit or whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so. She's not there long and um, she goes to the bathroom and comes out. She's like, so do you like me? And I was like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was, and then, but it was crazy too. Cause like just a couple days before I had told pastor, I was like, I'm gonna be really honest with you. I'm pretty attracted to Emily. And he's like, you just can't date her. And I was like, got it. <laughs> I got it. And, uh, so that night, man, we were out to like five o'clock cause I didn't want to be in the apartment. I don't know. I just breached trouble, man. So I was like, we're going out. So I took her out to like a bar and shop pool. And then we went and, uh, like out to Denny's or something, just trying to fill the hour. I mean, we just did not want to leave. We just wanted yeah. to be together, man. So anyway, yeah, that's how I met my hot wife. And, uh, and you guys got married and, yeah. uh, now you, you guys live in Alton, right? Yeah. We live in East Alton. Rose East Alton? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So Yeah. I feel, man, I still feel bad for pastor, dude. Cause what, cause we got married and then I was like, Hey, I'm leaving bro. You know what I mean? It took the girl with me. So yeah, I was like, man, you got to hire a children's pastor and a worship pastor now. So yeah, I did him yeah. dirty. Well, he's got it. He's got it back on track. He's got it back on track. And not only does he have it back on track, he has some, some ones so much better, so much better, man. That Cali girl is killing it, bro. Yeah. She's great. My, Emily was great. I mean, everybody's yeah, been great. Yeah. Yeah. And and Peyton, his name Peyton. Yeah, Peyton, Peyton the same Peyton's man. Awesome. Dude, yeah. Peyton's so good, good, great guy. Yeah, killing. It. It's great ministry. Yeah. So, well, that's awesome, man. I mean, it's uh, you know, I didn't know your whole story coming into this thing and and the different struggles you've had. And you know, like I say on every episode, that's that's kind of the the reason I'm doing this is because I think everybody has those struggles in life, right? Some may not be as severe. 
somebody might just be going through a little bit of a hard time right now, and they may be not a teenage kid that's thinking about suicide and has de- depression and anxiety. They may be a 50-year-old absolutely, that's listening to this right now and heard something that we just talked about right now, and yeah. it could help them to think about things a different way, give something else a new try, give something else a try. Yeah. And, you know, like I always say, like when I was really at my worst, if I could have heard something could have reached out and grabbed me, I, I was so ready for that, but I just, my pride was in the way. Yeah. And, you know, I just like doing this because I feel like by taking someone through your, your story with, with, you know, obstacles like you've had or other people have had, like for you, surviving a hurricane, being relocated, struggling with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. I mean, that's a lot that has happened in in one lifetime and you're 23 years old. Yeah. And so just getting that out there, I think it's a healthy thing for for you, Mm -hmm. for me to hear. um, And I just think it's, it's something that brings me joy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's my calling, if it's my thing, but, but I'm having fun doing it. And I appreciate you co- being willing to come on. man. Yeah. I appreciate you having me, man. It was, it was, it was honorable. So. so, so what, uh, if people want to know more about paper planes ministry, how can they get in touch? Yeah. So, uh, you can go to our website, paperplanesministries.org. Um, if you have any questions or, or want to know more about how we're doing, what we're doing, or any resources we may need, uh, you can email me at dbosarge, B as in boy, O-S-A-R, G as in goat, E as in elephant, at paperplanesministries.org. And you can follow us on Facebook, Paper Plains Ministries. Right on, buddy. Well, Mr. Bozarge, yeah. it was good to have you on, and uh, I think that does it for this week. Thanks, everybody.